Well, welcome. Good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. I think most of you know me. Uh, we're in a series about Fear Not. We're looking at three stories uh, from the Christmas story, Encounters with Angels. And among other things that they always said was, Fear Not. And two weeks ago, we looked at Mary she, uh, and a fear of what people are going to think about you and what God called you to do. Joseph was what people could think about you last week. And today we're going to look at shepherds and fear of where you might stand with God. Um, I put on the outline a question to start off with. It says, what happens to me when I die? Where do I stand with God? Is there more than this? What we see. If so, if there's two destinations, one good and one bad, how do I make sure I end up in the good one? So, we're going to show you, you can watch and listen to the Christmas story, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll jump in. Okay, so there's the story. I didn't, didn't want to take time to read it all, so we just uh, let someone else read it for us. <clears throat> Uh-oh. There we go. <laughs> uh, What does God think of you? What does God think of me? That's a game changer when you figure that out. Uh, for many of us, we may have the wrong idea. So we're going to look at the shepherds as, as someone that might be in the same situation as us when it comes to our approach to what God thinks about us. <clears throat> so we're going to pick it up, the story about the shepherds. After Jesus was born that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flocks of sheep. Now, was a practice back in Jesus' day was if you had money or if you were famous, if you were important. When a child was born, especially if it was a first child, especially if that first child was a boy, that was big in, in Judaism because he would carry on your family heritage and name. <clears throat> they would hire a herald, a person to go through town saying, Mary and Joseph had a baby boy and they named him Jesus. Mary and Joseph had a baby boy and named him Jesus. Of course, Mary and Joseph <clears throat> didn't have a lot of money. They had no, could not afford, could not hire a herald. So in our story, who heralds the birth of Jesus? Of course, the angel does, but to whom? To the shepherds. Now, the shepherds are kind of, kind of a bad rap, but they're at the bottom of the socioeconomic uh, uh, of their society and society they lived in. <clears throat> and uh, so consequently, uh, they didn't have a lot of reputation they, uh, worst off, they were rejected by the religious leaders because, and we'll see why, they couldn't keep the law. But shepherd was an honest job. You didn't give it to your oldest son, your most important son. Remember, David was a shepherd, but he was like seventh son. And so, well, you're our seventh son, you can go take care of the sheep. And so, it wasn't an important job. It was a necessary job. And uh, so, they were shepherds. Suddenly the angel appears to him and says, uh, well, first in the radiance of the Lord's glory, and as always, when shepherd, um, angels show up, people are afraid. Angels are not pretty cute little <laughs> uh, creatures. They are warriors. They come uh, with the power to strike fear in the lives of people. And that word terrified literally means fear a great fear. And so, consequently, when an angel shows up, people are afraid. Almost always what they say first is what? 
Don't be afraid. I know it's natural to be afraid. We're kind of scary, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of us, first of all. But more importantly, don't be afraid of, our, of the message that we have to share. We're God's messengers. We got God's message. And we're going to see what message comes from God is what? It's good news. And so we all like good news. So don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. So if they're going to come to the shepherds, kind of the low folks on the totem pole of society, then we say it this way. They're on the... God presents the gospel on the, on the a bottom shelf or the lower shelf. You know, in the grocery store, they put things down there that the little kids can get. <laughs> and the health food's up on the top, uh, usually. Uh, so the gospel, this good news, came to the lowest so it could be good for everyone. They came to the higher society. The lower folks would think it was un- un- unattainable for them. So Jesus came, and the angels came with the message uh, to the shepherds. Of course, the message was what? This is the Savior. And we'll talk more about Savior in a minute. Yes, the Messiah. The Messiah was a big deal. They've been waiting for hundreds of years for this deliverer to come, this promised one. They expected him to, to, to set them free from physical bondage, being enslaved by the Romans. Of course, we know he came to set people free from spiritual bondage, which is bigger and and uh, harder to deal with. He has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, which was nearby where they were. And then he says, and you will recognize, the angel said, recognize him. There'll, there'll be proof. We, you'll, you'll have a sign. You'll know who this, this child is. You'll find the baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger, a, a feeding trough. That's not where we normally put babies. So this was a good way to figure out who this uh, Messiah was, the Savior was. And so they went seeking. And that's important for all of us, right? To go seeking truth. In this case, seeking uh, the Messiah. So why did the shepherds feel distant from God? And we know this from their cultural setting. Well, first they felt unworthy. And most they couldn't, they felt unworthy because they couldn't keep the law. One reason was taking care of the sheep was a 24-7 job. And one day a week, what was necessary for you to do? Go to the temple. And they couldn't get to the temple. And they couldn't do some of the other things. And so they were actually pronounced unclean. Now, they were kind of unclean physically, right? Hanging out with sheep all the time isn't a really a clean job. But they were pronounced unclean spiritually. In fact, like a, if you read the <laughs> Old Testament, if you touched a leper who was discer- declared unclean, you were what? Declared unclean. Same was true, amazingly, of shepherds. If you touched a shepherd, you were spiritually unclean and had to go through the ritual of being spiritually cleansed. What about us? How often do we feel unworthy? Um, Maybe you were yelling at the kids on the way to church this morning. Uh, That kind of happens when the kids are little. I've been there, done that. Um, If people just knew what you did this week, what you said this week, what you thought this week, what you maybe didn't do. So we think of ourselves, it's easy for us to think of ourselves as unworthy. In fact, it's easy for us to think, well, who could love, how could God love me? So they felt unworthy. Uh, Second thing they felt 
inadequate. They were uneducated or low, or, or low education level. And in their society and our society, that's an easy way to feel inadequate. I'm not as educated, I'm not as smart as somebody else. And if they were to compare themselves to other folks in society, I don't have the status, I don't have the money, I don't have the important friends. Um, comparing is always a problem. <laughs> comparing materially, but also comparing spiritually. Uh, we all met those folks that kind of Bible verses come out of their mouth when they talk. You met those type folks? Oh, they're so spiritual. I wish I was as spiritual as them. I wish I knew all those Bible verses. I don't know all those. And I feel less than they are. I feel inadequate. Thirdly, they felt unloved. And this is huge for all, any of us, all of us, isn't it? They feel unloved. The amazing thing was about a shepherd in that day, they were cons- some of them were thieves, but they were kind of stereotyped and they were all considered thieves. And consequently, they could not give testimony in court. They weren't considered honest enough to give testimony in court. Uh, as far as marrying, and some of you are single, want to stay single, that's great, Jesus was single. But most of us are married or want to be married. And for a shepherd, that was kind of hard. Who wants their daughter to marry a quote-unquote shepherd? I try to think of an equivalent to today. I was thinking about when we were missionaries, we had street sweepers in Portugal, and they would actually have brooms and swept the street. Now, our street, street sweepers today have those trucks they drive around in. It's not quite the same. But they were low, low on the totem pole, and they had no place to go in advancement. Once a shepherd, always a shepherd. And so uh, prospects for marriage weren't even very good. And probably worst for all of us would be the fact that we look in the mirror sometimes and we think, how could anybody love me? And some of you may be single and wanting to find that special someone and you haven't found, found them yet. Or maybe my heroes, as you've heard me say, are, are single parents. And some of you couples here with kids, I think you'll probably appreciate that. Can you imagine raising kids by yourself? It just seems impossible. And I'm sure single parents at times feel that it's impossible. And they feel unloved. Some of you may have financial difficulties. And because of that, you're not feeling loved. So, bottom line is this. I put this on your outline. Religion didn't work for the shepherds. Didn't fit into their schedule. Didn't fit into their lifestyle. Not that they were necessarily bad people. It just didn't, didn't work for them. It didn't, it wasn't able to connect them with God. But here's the big deal for us. Religion doesn't work for us either. Now you're sitting there saying, what? I'm in a church and you're a pastor and you're telling me religion doesn't work? Now Jesus came to give us something better. He came to set us free, actually set us free from religion. Religion's about rules. That's the problem. The upside is if I keep the rules, I'm feeling pretty good about myself, Right? The downside is when I'm not keeping the rules, I don't feel very good about myself. I don't feel close to God. I don't feel God is close to me. And it kind of becomes mostly an external thing. So I yelled at the kids on the way to, at the, in the car on the way to, to church, but I got a smile on my face now. Nobody can tell. You know, Jesus had a lot, a lot of difficulty with folks like that. Uh, the religious leaders in his day, at one time, he, he, 
he insulted them. <laughs> and he said to them, you are like, you're like whitewashed sepulchers, meaning places that we bury people. On the outside, you look good. You're all clean. On the inside, you're a stinking, rotting corpse. And it wants to make me vomit. Jesus could really insult people if he really wanted to. So that's the problem with religion. The other problem with religion is this. When I'm doing pretty well and I look at you, I'm going to church, you're not going to church. I'm reading my Bible, you're not reading your Bible. What happens? I'm better than you. I'm closer to God than you because uh, I'm doing this and this and this or I'm not doing this or this. And I'm, not, I'm not drinking or smoking or chewing or going with girls that do, the expression. Uh, so religion doesn't work for them and it doesn't work for us. It's not original, but it's important that we understand this. Christianity is not a religion. It's not. It's listed as a religion, but it's not a religion. It's different from all the religions of the world. Religion's about me trying to get to God. Christianity is the complete opposite. It's about God coming to us. So all those rules that Moses got, God gave those Moses, Ten Commandments, whatever, they didn't promote a relationship. And we'll talk about what their purpose was in a minute. So since God wanted to have a relationship, he sent not rules, but a person. You have a relationship with a person. So we'll get back to that Savior word. What do we need a Savior from? Send us a Savior. Save us from what? We're going to look at something Paul wrote, just three verses. He's going to tell us, as simply as we can, I think, what the purpose of, of the law was, what we need to be saved from. Now, I want you to think about it this way. <clears throat> when you do something wrong, it doesn't have to be something Ten Commandments, but when you do something wrong, what is it that makes you know, hey, I just did something wrong? Now, we say that's the thumbprint of God. Your pets don't do that, do they? I just growled at that. I run on the trail and I come, run past past dogs, I, I can't. I have to stop and walk past them. Because if you run by a dog, what do they do? They chase you. Yeah. And of course, the, pet, the owners all say, well, they'll, they'll, no, they, they, this is a perfect dog. They're not going to do anything. <clears throat> but dogs don't worry about that. Pets don't worry about that. We do. What is that? So, Paul's going to help us understand that. This is in Romans chapter 3. He starts off by saying, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. But wait a minute, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. When I do the right things, God likes me. When I don't do the wrong things, God likes me. When I do the wrong things, God doesn't like me. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's not how it works. That's the way we think, but that's not how it works. He said, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. That's pretty bad news, right? We're all sinful. Sin separates us from God. So we're all separated from God. Someone's described it like this. We're all in the same sinking boat. I can't help you. You can't help me. We're all in the same sinking boat. But, okay, that's bad news. But, God has shown us a way to be made right with him. Oh, there is a solution. There is an answer. There is a way. It's not through the law, but there is a way. It's without keeping the requirements of the law. It's promised by the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. So then he's going to give us good news. Verse 22. Here's the good news. Can't be by the law. How do I get there? We are made right with God. There is a way. Can be made right with God by placing my faith or our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone 
who believes, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you thought. Doesn't matter. True for everybody. Again, bottom shelf, right? Equal access. Came across a term I like this week, faith, belief, trust. It was confident reliance. That's what you and I need. Confident reliance in Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's it. That's how we have a personal relationship with God. That's Christianity. That's not a religion. So let me point out three things here quickly before we end. Uh, first one's this. You cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. In fact, Jesus said, all right, you got, the Jews had over 600 rules and regulations. Uh, we know about the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to make it easy for you. I'll give you two rules. Can't keep 600, can't keep 10, maybe you can keep two. What do you think? Think we can keep two rules? <laughs> Here they are. Love God, love people. Oop, failed that one too. Then he said, okay, just, just, just one. You show how you love God by loving people. Still fail. So you can't earn God's acceptance by observing the law. The purpose of the law on your outline is to show you your need for a Savior. I'm separated from God. I can't save myself. The law proves that. I can't keep those rules. I need a Savior. I need some little uh, class participation here for a minute, okay? Now, if I was to ask you in the hallway if you're a good person, most of you are going to tell me, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. And most people out there think they're a good person. So we're going to do a little test. All right? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever lied? Raise your hand. Now, every hand should be up, right? Okay. Just checking. All right. How many of you ever stolen anything, even if it's a paper clip at work? All right. All right. I was, uh, I was working a carp- as a carpenter once with a couple of guys that weren't Christians, and we're at this house. It's in the fall of the year. Uh, I think we're putting up a chimney. And uh, there's an apple tree in the front yard. So I just went over, picked an apple, and ate it. You know what those two guys said to me? You stole that apple. The owners weren't huh? There wasn't anybody to ask. But I, technically, I stole that apple. And I remember this 42 years later, right? Okay. Don't raise your hand on this one. How many of you ever lusted in your heart after somebody? Jesus said, that's what? That's adultery. So let's back up and check here. So we're liars, we're thieves, and we're adulterers. But we're all good people, right? (laughs) Depends who you compare yourself to. Compared to who? So until you see, and this is on your outline, until you see yourself as a sinner, you not see your need for a Savior. And we all talk to people. And if you're not a Jesus follower at this point, we're glad that you're here. But we've all talked to people that don't see a need for Jesus, right? This is a pretty famous quote. The interesting thing to me about this was the author's unknown. If our great, greatest need had been for information, God would have sent us an educator. We've got some educators here, and I love educators. I love to teach. And some people think Jesus was a great teacher. He was, but that's not what he came to do. If our greatest need had been technology, we would send a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us economists. If our greatest need had been pleasure, that's kind of what our society kind of focuses on, right? Pleasure. God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was what? Forgiveness. So God sent us a savior or a forgiver, a means of forgiveness. There's another thing 
Paul tells us this. Righteousness with God comes by faith in Christ alone. Christ alone. Not baptism, which we had last week, which was fantastic, and we should do that. Not by church attendance, but we should do that. Not by reading our Bibles, we should do that. Not by giving money to ministry and to the poor, we should do that. Uh, Faith in Christ alone. I always wonder when people say, well, you know, I'm a good person. Well, how, how good is good enough? I did a funeral this week. I've been doing too many funerals lately, but uh, I was a, a believer, and he was 84, and, and uh, when I do a funeral, I usually ask this question. Heaven's a perfect place. Got any perfect people here? Never gotten a hand yet. No perfect people. I can't get there then. Uh, again, this isn't really, uh, original, but this is an easy way, I think, for us to comprehend this. Religion is about doing stuff. Actually, religion is, about, is focused on me because it's about me doing whatever the rules and regulations are. Next slide, please. Religion is about doing. Christianity is about a relationship, and it's already done. Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He suffered horribly. He was crucified, and three days later, he conquered death. He didn't deserve to die, so he could die in somebody else's place. In fact, in everybody else's place. So now that I am ex- I've accepted Jesus, he's accepted me, now I work hard. I should work even harder than those who are trying to earn their way to heaven because of my thankfulness and appreciation for God's grace. So back to our verse, how, do we, how we may write with God. My faith in Jesus Christ It's true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. No matter what you've done. I went in with a story this morning. This is kind of poor family. True story. Kind of poor family. One of the the female children told the story. And uh, it's Christmas time. And back then, uh, it was when you went and got the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Our trees have been up for weeks, most of us, but... Uh, went for Christmas Eve. Well, the dad was unemployed. And usually on Christmas Eve, he brought home a Christmas tree, he brought home some gifts, he brought home some snacks. And the children were all waiting. Dad comes home, he doesn't have anything. Can't afford it. So he was a good dad, and he tried to think of what he could do. So he went out, got what we would call a two-by-four, a board, drilled some holes in it, got it so it'd stand up. The neighbor had evergreen trees on three sides of his property, her property. And he went over and asked permission to cut a few branches off some of the trees and that's what she they gave her permission he cut the branches off and he stuck them in the holes uh, of the of the board of course it was kind of an ugly tree it wasn't much of a tree and so the daughter is telling the story says uh, starts praying she got more than anything else she wanted a Christmas tree more than the gifts more than the sex she wanted a Christmas tree she's praying and a knock comes at the door and the neighbor with the evergreen trees is standing there uh, the lady with her son with the most beautiful, she describes the most beautiful Christmas tree she's ever seen. And she offered them this gift. And so they were able to have this Christmas tree. The interesting thing, she tells the story, is every Christmas, she would walk by that property, there'd be a gap in the evergreen trees where that family had cut that tree out and given it to them that previous year. Now, let me end, end with this question. How do you think that neighbor would have felt knocked on the door, they came to the door and said, I've got this gift for you. 
this beautiful Christmas tree? And they would respond, uh, I don't think so. I'm not interested. We're fine. Go away. What if it was you? Ah, uh, we don't need a Christmas tree. How do you think they would have felt? How much more is it when we refuse the gift because the joy comes from receiving, right? There's joy in giving also, but you can't receive, get the joy of the gift receiving until you receive it. So just kind of take home, homework, whatever you want to call it. What steps do you need to take to focus less on religion and more in your relationship with Jesus? What fears do you have? Fears of what God may be wanting you to do? Fears of what people think about you? Fears of where you stand with God. Do you feel unworthy? Do you feel unacceptable? The key is, do you recognize your need? Do you recognize your need for a Savior? He's offering you a gift. Will you receive it? Let's pray. Father God, the Christmas story is pretty familiar to all of us. As we talked about today, it highlights the, the distance between you and us because of our sin, our willful disobedience, doing what we want to do and stay what you want to do. And we have no solution to that. We can't fix that. We can't undo it. But you've taken care of it. You've done it all. As was said last week, It sounds too good to be true, but it is. Like any gift, it's offered out of love and needs to be received. So God, probably most folks here have received the gift of salvation, but if there's some here that haven't, we pray today would be the day that they would accept it. They understand their need for forgiveness. Understand they need a Savior. For other of us, there's fears. Maybe fears of spending the first Christmas alone. Maybe fears of maybe I'm going to lose my house. Maybe a medical issue. Fears that I'm going to lose some faculties or maybe lose my life. Man's greatest fear is fear of death. We don't need to fear. You've conquered sin, which results in death. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your gift. Not just this Christmas, but all year long. Let us remember. The child that was born is the Savior of the world, no matter who we are. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.